Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, senior reporter at Hort Week, and this week I'm joined by soil scientist Tim O'Hare, who almost doesn't need an introduction. I don't meet many people who haven't worked with you or heard of you, so thank you so much for joining me today. It's a huge honour. Thanks, Rachel. Yes. Um, well, um, there's quite a few that have worked with me, thankfully. Um, I've been around for, for a good number of decades now, I think, almost, almost three decades. You were actually one of my very first uh, interviews when I first started writing about the industry. And um, I remember asking some quite obvious questions, uh, but you were very patient and you didn't once laugh at anything I asked. So I was very grateful for that. And it, it was hugely fascinating. Oh, well, I've got to live up to it now, haven't I? This one. <laughs> so I thought I could start with something you've recently celebrated, uh, which is the Pineapple Awards, and they celebrate the very best in placemaking. Uh, you guys supported a number of projects which were shortlisted, but one project in particular did very well, uh, and that was Circus Street in Brighton, which won Place of the Year. Uh, and I live in Brighton, so I was quite pleased to see that. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the project? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, I mean, we, we worked very closely with um, uh, J&L Gibbons, Joanna Gibbons, who I've worked with for numerous years um, on, on many of their fantastic projects. Um, I, I mean, this one was uh, pretty much like many of them are. Um, it's uh, It was a derelict, derelict site, urban site. Um, I think it was a former... Uh, marketplace or municipal market I think they, they described it as um, about two and a half acres of land so it's a big big plot of land and it was developed into a sort of what they describe as a mixed-use neighborhood now um, so uh, lots of accommodation but also um, lots of green spaces uh, a lot of it was was, a, was podium landscapes um, and yeah, we were fortunate enough to work with Joe from the beginning, uh, sort of really uh, developing the soil strategy to support the landscape scheme. Uh, and then um, and that sort of went through sort of the, the normal REBA stages, stage two, three, four. Um, 
and to develop the various different soil systems that would need to support the landscape scheme, really. Um, so, yeah, um, quite a sort of bog-standard um, sort of urban development project for us, really. Um, and we were fortunate enough then to sort of do some monitoring work during the construction itself, just to make sure the right soils were being imported um, and that they were sort of being installed in the right way and to the right depths and and so forth. So, yeah, we're delighted that... Um, um, it's done. It's been well, so well recognised. I must, must admit, we're sort of well down the food chain on <laughs> on the sort of the the consultants that are involved with these sorts of things. But yeah, we we take pride in what we do. Um, and yeah, you know that was one of of several. You know, I, I think lots of the other ones uh, that were shortlisted, um, we seem to sort of have a have an involvement with or a good involvement with. So yeah, we were delighted with the with the outcome of all those. Yeah, and I mean, you say you're further down the food chain but soil is kind of key to a successful project really it's the base of everything so very important i think so uh, but i would say that <laughs> wouldn't i um yeah it, it is and i i think as a general note um you know as i said i've been i've been playing around with soils for almost 30 years now and um i'm really delighted that in the last few well, last sort of decade i suppose really uh, I've always felt soil was the, pretty much the forgotten uh, natural element uh, alongside air and water, certainly in terms of the amount of monitoring and amounts of sort of guidance um, and protection that it's given. It, it's minimal compared with the other two. Uh, and at last, it's finally being recognised that and in our industry, the landscape industry, um, obviously, we've been championing it for many years, as have, you know, um, a good core of the landscape industry, both the designers and the contractors. Uh, and the suppliers obviously but um mm-hmm. it really is now taking momentum um and so yeah it, it's 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 increasingly becoming more recognized i feel like when we did speak probably 5 years ago now or something like that one of the biggest kind of challenges around soil and threats which i think ties into your point there was soil compaction um because you know those construction workers not to kind of make a sweeping statement but a lot of them didn't didn't understand um that that wasn't a good thing to do so is that still an issue that is is happening on sites very much so um yes it, it's it's probably still the biggest um uh negative impact on on uh, on soils from the whole construction process um because it it effectively every time any time you 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 pick up soil with an excavator for example or you store materials on it um, or even when you put the soil back again all those activities um, often result in in compaction compaction is basically the loss of a soil's porosity and its ability to drain and aerate and allow roots to grow through it and microbes to live in it so by by creating a compaction compacted environment you're basically taking something which is a living thing uh, and supports you know the whole ecosystem itself and you're you're turning it into something which dare i say it will will simply uh, act as a sort of a, a construction platform um for to, great for holding buildings up and roads up and bridges and pavements mm. but it's not going to do all, deliver all the other functions that the soils do so yeah compassion's still there but I'm really encouraged, actually, both at sort of ground level. Um, we work with a lot of developers and, and contractors and they're recognising this probably because of the outcomes of it rather than, 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 dare I say, reading our reports and our advice and our, our warnings. 
Um, but they're, they're now taking a much greater greater notice of it. And, and we're working with a lot of companies now to overcome the issues of, of compaction. And what are some of those pieces of advice you do give to avoid that? Well, I think um, firstly, making them aware of, of, of the causes of compaction, as I said, what I've listed already, really. Mm. Um, but then uh, setting out the mechanisms, I suppose, making sure oh, it's, all, it's all very well us writing wonderful reports and uh, soil management plans and things like this. But we've got to get it to the we've, we've got to get the information to the operatives who are actually handling the soils. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we put a huge amount of illustrations in our reports now to show people the types of kit that should be used. Um, you know, literally pieces of kit parked in parked in the yard, but also in operation. Uh, then we also um, encourage our clients to uh, let us interface with contractors. Um, and we, we sort of do toolbox talks. Um, we have demonstration days. And, and really, it, it, once once um, the operatives understand what we're trying to achieve, most of them buy into it um, and actually come up with great ideas as well that we, we haven't even thought of. So I think it's getting down to sort of basic level. We, we, we do a huge amount of work with house builders now. I would say 10 years ago, we did none. Mm. Um, and that, that's probably the biggest example of where we, we've come in the last 10 years in terms of people respecting soils more. So... Yes, we, we, we now um, work with the, with, the, with the technical managers on sites, but we also work with the site managers um, and also then the groundworks contractors and landscape contractors that actually have to put, put things in place. Um, albeit only a small plot of land per, per household, you know, but when you've, when you've bought a new house, uh, uh, that, is your, that is your kingdom. And and that that small patch of of, of garden, um, you know, people put a huge amount of time and investment into it. So, uh, and as we all know, the sort of the the, the sort of traditional uh, back garden uh, c- condition was always sort of a I don't know hundred mil of soil over over builders rubble was the classic thing. I mean, dating back you know to the fifties, and maybe even further than that. And nowadays, you know, we're, we're encouraging the use of more topsoil. 300 mil of topsoil is, is far better than 100, 100, 150. We're encouraging them to decompact the subsoils, as we talked about before. Um, and we're trying to sort of make, make them realise that for every one garden that, it, that doesn't work properly, firstly, you, you have a, a, an unhappy homeowner. Um, and and with the powers of social media these days, that can multiply very rapidly. But yeah. but other other things such as you know flood mitigation, um, uh, flooded patios. Uh, but if you if you if you times that up by a thousand homes, imagine the the, the 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 lack of or the loss of water attenuation that we've we've created. So yeah, yeah it, it starts with one back garden, but then you can multiply it up to to well, a nationwide um, situation. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Actually, it could it could potentially be quite dangerous and, and very impactful to the to the industry if people's gardens are failing, but you know the homeowners don't necessarily understand that it's to do with the soil. So yeah, very important. I think I think we've we've seen the improvements now. I mean, we have developers we work for, and maybe maybe we started working on phase one of a development site. Now we're on phase five, and from phase, uh, we you know we we came in at the back end of phase one where there was problems, but phase two, three, four, and five have actually been delivered, and the the amount of complaints from the the customer care department, if you like, has dropped off dramatically, um, and that just goes to show if you invest it in these things, 
and get them right, then you know, as a developer, you're not get, you're not having the problems with with having to retrofit drainage, take down fences, redo turfing, and all the bad social media and publicity that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So taking it back about ten years, one of the projects you guys are probably most well known for is Olympic Park, um, and. I know you've just completed a study on the quality of the manufactured soils at the park. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to be really interesting. We'll, we'll hear a bit about that in a second. But I thought maybe you could start with talking us through kind of the work that you did there all those 10 years ago. 10 years ago, even more than that, actually. Oh, was it? Yeah. Uh, well, I think we probably started around about 2009, oh, sort wow. of with the design side of it, obviously for the delivery at, in 2012. I mean, yeah, I suppose I mean, we're very honoured to be um, uh, awarded the position, I suppose, of, of project soil scientist for the for the entire scheme, including the Athletes' Village. Um, so that was sort of both for the pre-games and the post-games transformation stage, as it was called. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, yeah, during the design, we worked very closely, obviously, with the landscape architects and the engineers, the remediation guys, ecologists. Uh, and drainage engineers um, to basically make sure that um, all the soil systems uh, for all the different habitats that were uh, included within the park, um, you know, worked, Uh, you know, both topsoil or subsoil, get the right depths and so on, but also um, making sure the tree pit designs were were correct, there was the sufficient volumes, and linking it all up with things like the drainage strategy um, to make, you know, I mean, there was minimal land drainage was put into uh, the soft landscape scheme because we got the soils to, to do all the work for us rather than having to sort of focus water elsewhere. So, um, I mean, yeah, if you think as a reminder, I suppose it was it was probably um, several projects all wrapped into one. We had spectator lawns. Um, species-rich uh, annual meadows, the feature meadows that Nigel and James, uh, Nigel Dunn and James Hitchmore, um, work we worked with on. Um, we had the, the perennial meadows, which were at that time a pretty new thing that, that Nigel came up with. And then we, we had street trees, uh, the ornamental gardens, and then we had all the habitat um, restoration, you know, the, the marginal wetland habitats that were done along the, the edge of the River Lee. Um, and even biodiverse green roofs, green roofs on the um, on the athletes' village buildings. So, yeah, it was a real melee of all these different things, and effectively, um, we we had to design the soils to suit each of these specific applications. Was there a particular area that was challenging? Um, not not really. I mean, to be honest, it was such a dare I say a collaborative approach to everything that you know you you had the sort of the uh, certainly the, the best of, of all the disciplines there. So, you know, everybody everybody at that stage really recognised, I suppose, dare I say it, the late John Hopkins, he, he him and I worked with very closely together. And, uh, you know, he, from day one, um, him and, and um, Phil Askew, for example, they both recognised the value of soil and they realised mm. they had to get the soil right. So we, we were supported all the way through, really. And um, now I think the the, the ch- it was really sort of bringing together sort of 10, 15 years of of working on multiple different projects, bringing it all into 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 this one project, really. So it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, we got we got to work with some really good people. I mean, I, I should say, you know, there were three main soil companies that, that supply the soil, um, but we worked very closely with them at the manufacture design stage. It was Freeland Horticulture, British Sugar and London Rock who did all the all the subsoils. 
and um and and it was that collaboration and you know we had to put these soils onto trains to, to bring oh, them wow. in uh, and all this sort of stuff uh, uh, so the whole the whole process was in some respects very novel but it was also just sort of tapping into many years of of doing it on other projects and bringing yeah. it all together yeah. yeah fantastic and so that that study that you've uh, you've now completed what have you kind of learned about the soil's health kind of 10 years on yeah, um, I mean, the reason for this was, I suppose there was lots of sort of looking back 10 years for the Olympic Park. And I thought this was one of the one of the things we should look back. But I mean, I suppose the, this whole term of manufactured topsoil or manufactured soil, I mean, it's been around for, for ages now, but it, it people are still sceptical of it. And I mean, in the life of a soil, 10 years is nothing, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the whole the whole pro- purpose of manufacturing a soil or a soil substitute, as we it really is, is to is to sort of fast track that process. What 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 you aim to achieve is a growing medium that will function like a natural topsoil from day one, not not take ten years to mature and then function as a topsoil or even even one year. We couldn't allow that. The, the, we we had to choose components or you know mineral components and organic components. So when they're blended together and they're placed in the, the landscape environment, whatever it is, a sports pitch or a, a spectator lawn or a perennial meadow or whatever, it, it will work. It will deliver the functions that the soil needs to um, from day one or certainly as many of those functions. So, yeah. I mean, we all think about soil landscape soils as, you know, supporting plant growth, obviously. But then we, we often forget, including myself, we often forget... I suppose it's it's to support a a, a whole community of of fauna, uh, soil fauna. You know, uh, from, from microbes to what we call meso invertebrate fauna to to macro fauna, earthworms and ants and everything else. So those don't come in straight away. But we wanted to look at see how many of the of of important soil functions the soils were now delivering. Um, and I suppose, uh, and we've been doing this on several projects, several schemes, which have you know been in in place for 10 15 yeah. years so this is not the first one we've looked at um and you we want to sort of learn from 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 these these studies but um i mean yeah o- overall overall we 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 we're very encouraged by the the findings um we didn't find any major issues at all oh, um, with any of the soils which i suppose is not a surprise given that um the the proof of the pudding in this case is the is the one of the indicators is the the establishment of the landscape and the growth of the landscape and so on. I mean, I should say we we didn't look at soils which were uh, installed in transformation. These these were the original soils that went in pre games, mm. and they were soils that um, hadn't been ameliorated or had composts or mature, mature manures added to them uh, more recently. So this was these were as 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 natural as they could be, I suppose. What do you hope to do with these findings and and move forward with them well i suppose um i mean they're they're a great they're a great uh sort of benchmark i suppose because we we did some tests after the games as well sorry just before games literally the the landscape had been in about a year and we did a whole range of tests then so we've got data from before the soils were imported um we've got soils which have sat there for a year and now we've got well about 11 years um worth um and actually, we've so we've been looking at the trends as well as as the sort of the outcomes or going forward. Really, I mean, visually, I would say that um, uh, they look uh, well. They look, feel, and smell 
like natural topsoils. They have all the sort of humic acids and so on working. You know, they, they are, you know, the earthworm populations are phenomenal. As we were digging our holes, trial holes to examine the soils, literally earthworms are pouring into the hole. Um, oh. So these weren't earthworms that were, in, that were part of the soil. They, they've, they've come in with uh, the plants, the, predominantly the trees, I would imagine. Um, so these, these, these are from the root balls of the trees, but they've, they've obviously populated the soils and are, are doing really well. So that's, again, a, a good visual um, benchmark. Um, but, but, yeah, organic-wise, um, the organic levels generally have gone up. Yeah. They dropped after one year, which is expected, but actually they've then stabilised and started to increase now as the sort of the natural cycle of, of organic recycling, you know, from, from leaf litter and so on has, has, has taken place. So it's a benchmark. This whole thing's a benchmark, but it's, it's you know, I'd love to do it in another 10 years and see, see how things are evolving since. But it provides, every, I suppose, the industry with confidence that... Um, these man-made soils aren't aren't sort of uh you know short-term short-term products that need to be replaced or enhanced and so on i mean the, the whole aim of a manufactured soil is to be sustainable both in terms of its components that are used uh they, they should be recycled or, or recovered components mm. but secondly they shouldn't be any more demanding on on resources than than a natural soil i mean in many respects they should be better than a natural soil yeah. Um, that's not actually the, not not always the case. Um, depends. I mean, if you've got a very high sand content root zone, that's going to be more demanding than something with with plenty of clay in it, which has great sort of nutrient reserves and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask the gardeners haven't been doing anything special or different then through their work. Not really. No. Not mm. as far as we're aware. Um, I mean, you mentioned compaction earlier on. Yeah. That was the one thing we found. Uh, the the lawn, what we call the spectator lawn soils. These are these very high sand content. They're, they're root zones, really, not really topsoils. They're 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 a washed sand blended with compost. So they're very artificial, but they do have their own micro population, predominantly uh, bacterial, because they're supporting grass. Some of their nutrients, for particularly potassium, was depleted, but but not horrifically. But all the other components seem to be there, but they were suffering from compaction, which is obviously a result of wear and tear, use use of the spectator lawns. So that's probably, I suppose, in terms of one of the, the, the outputs from this would be to advise the, the maintenance teams to maybe focus a bit more on doing some physical treatments to, to address that compaction, because that will obviously have an impact on, on root function, water attenuation and, and all these sorts of things. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, it is such an amazing space and really really valued by the community as well but um some beautiful some beautiful planting in there too yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a good example of of our industry uh and i'm I'm really pleased it was at the time it was recognized um for that through sort of organizations organizations like barley and the landscape institute but yeah it is it is a good test case and and we should all be very proud of it and it you know for many years to come So climate change is a challenge that is kind of facing our entire industry. Mm-hmm. What role does soil play in this? Is it suffering from climate change? Is it a solution? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll cover that first question first, really. Is it suffering? Yes. Um, I, I think to some extent, like like we've seen above ground as well as below ground, our landscapes are having to adapt and they're having to adapt far quicker than I think they used to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so I think the, the, the same will happen to some extent, it's certainly with the soil fauna, the, the microbes and the, 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 the faunal populations will, will suffer, I think, to some extent. But then they will go through this transition. You know, we're all meant to be going to be getting a Mediterranean climate. Well, you know, I've, I've just been studying some Mediterranean soils for a project and uh they 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 are healthy soils in many respects as well they have good micro populations different species obviously but um you know they, they we we will recover um but i think there will be periods where our soils will suffer in terms of soils importance well it, i mean it's 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 vitally important um i mean we've looked at soils uh both from in, in terms of how will they help reverse uh, climate change because that's obviously the aim or certainly stop it stop it progressing obviously carbon sequestration is the is is the is the big one there i suppose uh, soils are the the biggest terrestrial carbon sink on earth um i say terrestrial because obviously the biggest sink is is the oceans but soil is the biggest you know by far there's more carbon stored in in the ground than there is um, above ground in the forests and the grasslands and so on so you know um uh, it, it, it's vital that we, that we encourage more carbon to uh, be sequestered or stored in the ground. We've lost a huge amount um, already through our management of soils. You know, just simply cultivating topsoil um, releases a huge amount of carbon into the atmosphere. So, um, you know, these are, the, the, there's initiatives such as, well, it used to be when I, when I was studying soils, it was called um, minimum tillage. Uh, uh, but now it's also obviously called zero tillage, where we where we we, we don't plow at all anymore in, in many circumstances. So we minimise one of the downfalls, which is release of carbon, but also there's a lot, lots of other benefits for, for for zero tillage as well. You know, things like that are helping reverse climate change, but also then we are going to be getting we're obviously having the impacts of climate change already with our you know our very well very cold winters. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've certainly lost loads of plants that have been growing for many years, but this yeah. last winter wipes out things like, um, uh, well, bay trees, for example. They seem to go. Hebes seem to go. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a sort of a very active gardener, but I, I certainly have noticed these things um, all, all being literally wiped out um, in my garden. But also we, we've got to have these much heavier rainstorm events. Um, and so, yeah, so, soils will have, through their various uh, functions and ecosystem services, um, uh, will play a huge part in, in, in minimising the impact of it. Obviously, government has all these tree planting targets and things like that. Do you think it's doing enough to protect our soil, though? Ooh, yeah. Um, I think it's definitely on the agenda. I mean, I, I have been working with DEFRA, uh, various departments in DEFRA, um, probably a little bit more arm's length than I'd like to be, if I'm honest. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was a co-author of a of a, a code of practice with a, with another really good soil scientist, Malcolm Reeve. We wrote the uh, code of practice for the sustainable use of soils on construction sites, which was published in two thousand nine, um, and that really was the sort of sort of starting point really of, of 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 our construction industry of really taking note on soils so i think that's that's due for that that's being re uh, updated at the moment i should say um and it's it's still not it's still not a draft hasn't been sort of circulated yet but i'm, I'm anticipating that coming through soon um so that i think that that will be a huge benefit um it's very well recognized so i think looking at how government is sort of focusing on our part i mean 
I, I was chasing them for about two or three years with I'm working as part of the Sustainable Soils Alliance um, and as a, as a, as a body okay, we were yeah. encouraging the government to update this particular document because it needed a refresh and they've kindly, kindly instigated that. Um, so I, I, think, I think there's a lot of initiatives, both sort of construction sector but also the farming sector as well. Yeah, I would say so. If you had kind of one, because I know part of your, your work as well as kind of helping others to understand soil, you go, you do a lot of talks at, at various different uh, things. Um, is there like one kind of key message that you, you kind of hope that people will take away from from what you're kind of educating them about? Oh, one message. Um, you can tell we haven't pre- scripted this, can't you? Because I'm having to think now. <laughs> That's um, absolutely fine. I, I, I suppose... Uh, uh, yeah, the, the the current message really is linking into all the sort of current initiatives and issues we have, you know, nationally and and globally would be recognise the value of soil, um, recognise the value of soil, and mm. also, um, yeah, a, any any improvement on soil quality, soil health, will have a benefit. So you know, if if every gardener, for example, did their bit to sort of optimise soil function and soil health that will have a benefit to, you know, the climate emergency that we're in. And I suppose if, if that would uh, applies to every householder, then it should also apply to every developer, mm. um, every, every uh, landscape practitioner, uh, and so on, every, and so on. And, and I, I think we'll get there, you know. Um, you know. We all have to do our bit. We can't just sit and, and, and worry about it. We've got, we've got to optimise. So yeah, optimizing soil function and the value of soils is is really the the key message, and we can all do our bit to to do that to achieve that. Absolutely, absolutely, can. So looking forward into the future, do you have kind of any exciting projects coming up uh, that we should be on the lookout for? Um, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I mean, I I, I think it, I, I, it sounds really naff actually, but every every project I think is exciting. I mean, we we're doing some fantastic work, as I said, with house builders, mm. um, and one of the beauties of soil is it's so variable. So we we could be working with a house builder down in Sussex on silty clays, which have the which are a nightmare to to work with, to be fair. And and other times we're working with developers up in say East Anglia on lovely sandy soils and. Mm across in wales with or down in, in devon for example on some heavy red clay so yeah no i mean each, each project has it uh, has its challenges i suppose and and therefore becomes interesting but in terms of unusual ones yeah i mean we've been working with um the rhs um uh, marcus children jones over at rhs bridgewater we've we completed a, a soil survey of part of that so we did the original baseline survey through tom stuart smith many years ago but their next project, I think, is a new arboretum. So we did a detailed soil survey of that parcel of the land uh, because obviously an arboretum wants to optimise the range of, of tree species that, that grow there. So, yeah, we found some fantastic soils there, actually, which I think uh, are about as good as they could get. So that was a, a really nice project, which we'll, we'll, we'll follow into fruition. Mm. Um Dare I say HS2, we're heavily involved with that in, in, in many ways. Mm. Um and again, I mean, my, my view is whether you whether you like it or hate it, um, you know, uh, it, it's happening. Um, yeah. And and our role as soil scientists um, is to make sure that um, any soils that are disturbed, both temporary tempor- temporarily or permanently, 
are are reinstated properly. Um, you know, uh, and a huge amount of effort uh, from the very beginning has been placed upon that. And we, we're now overseeing all of these things. But one, one of the elements of that we we're involved with is the, um, the Chiltern Tunnel, the tunnel that runs underneath the Chilterns, almost by the sort of, uh, sort of the west side of the M25. Uh, all the tunnel spoil from that is, is, is obviously coming out on the south side and it's going to be used to create one of the biggest calcareous grasslands in the, in the country. Wow. So we're working with the engineers and, and um, uh, Jacobs and Cranfield University to develop um, a soil system again to support this. Um, so we've been doing lots of uh, lab-based, university lab-based, um, small-scale mixing trials and growing trials and so on. And now we're sort of at, at full scale um, uh, doing trials actually on the site itself. So I was there a few weeks ago looking at the, uh, looking at the, the responses to it, and it's all, all very encouraging. So that's a, a, a really, I mean, obviously the, the focus there is, is biodiversity, achieving enough uh in, in, you know net gain and so on so that's an encouraging one um uh what else are we doing um we're working with with several farming estates at the moment across the country to um establish a baseline of their soil's health again this whole soil health initiative is really taking momentum and um so we're doing we're looking at the, the sort of the baseline quality of their soils um, and then with, with a view to sort of helping them through uh, various forms of soil husbandry and overall management to to improve the, those those qualities. So we're looking at things like um, we've done uh, soil carbon audits, you know, how much carbon do they have in their their land at the moment, both um, organic carbon, inorganic carbon, active carbon, all these various forms of carbon. So we can so we can establish sort of where they are now, where they might maybe in ten years plus, and so on. Mm. Um, things like fertility assessment, both looking for one of the main things in terms of encouraging biodiversity is actually to have lower levels of fertility, um, plus other other environmental stresses and soil stresses, so that you encourage a, a greater um, diversity of, of of plants to to establish. So yeah, we're looking at all those sorts of things, which. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I suppose we're looking at very similar soil properties as we always have, but with a new with a new um, goal at the end of it. Really. Yeah, yeah, really new agenda. That's really exciting. Um, my my very last question for you is one that we ask all our guests, and I'm really intrigued to hear what you're going to say, actually. Um, and that is, what plant would you take to a desert island? That's a good one. Um, would it be a bag of soil? I I don't know if I well, can. I think I mean a, yeah, if it, a desert island implies a hot country, but I think if it was a if it was an island in, in a temperate temperate maritime environment that we live in now, I suppose I'd probably take an English oak if I if I had to. Nice. Um, I mean, like, yeah, they're not the easiest trees to establish, actually. Um, you know, they are part of our, our landscape still. And mm. um, but, yeah, they I mean, they, they do deliver so many, uh, uh, I suppose, ecosystem services, um, both sort of they, they for the soils, for the soil environment, for for for, mm. for, the, for the ecology. And they're, they're a fantastic tree, I suppose. So, um, yeah, probably a bit of a boring choice there. But um no, I think, I think they're one of my favourite trees. Yeah, yeah. they're well, I think lovely. We should we should value them very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on the podcast. Um, I think that was 
definitely just as if not more interesting than our original interview <laughs> nearly five years ago um it's been really fascinating so thank you oh uh, it's been my absolute pleasure thanks very much indeed for for inviting me on no problem I'm Rachel Forsyth and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Horticulture Week, email us at hortweek at haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to Tim and goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.